Section 24 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 10. Section 24. Selected Works by William Cooper by charles dudley warner william cooper seventeen thirty one to eighteen hundred the poet cooper who stands in the gap that separates pope from wordsworth belongs to the group that includes thompson young goldsmith and crabbe if he is unimportant today in comparison with his importance to his own time yet his service to english poetry is great for he dispersed the artificial atmosphere which pope had thrown around it his moods and his keys were alike limited and he was soon overshadowed by wordsworth cooper saw nature wordsworth saw into nature and touched chords undreamed of by the gentle poet of rural scenes and fireside pleasures cooper's simplicity of diction was in his day almost daring and he broke away from all the sentimental arcadian figures with which thompson's landscapes were peopled therefore his value lies in the note of sincerity that he sounded singularly enough he has been admired by french critics he has been compared to rousseau and saint beauve calls him the bard of domestic life his fame as a serious poet rests chiefly on the task which hazlitt calls a poem which with its pictures of domestic comfort and social refinement can hardly be forgotten but with the language itself his life is briefly told he was born at Berkhamsted, england november twenty sixth seventeen thirty one through his mother he was descended from the family of the poet john dunn she died when he was but six years of age and he was sent to school in hertfordshire and to westminster for three years he studied law at the temple but although called to the bar in seventeen fifty four he never practised as a young man he had an attack of madness attempted suicide and was confined at st albans for two years when released he retired to huntington where he formed a friendship with the unwins on the death of reverend william unwin he and mrs unwin removed to olney where most of cooper's poems were written and afterward to weston where mrs unwin died in seventeen ninety six cooper survived her four years dying on april twenty fifth eighteen hundred at olney cooper lived in seclusion amusing himself with his garden and greenhouse raising pineapples mending windows writing reading and playing with his pets the chief of them were his three hares puss tiny and bess which formed the topic of an essay in the gentleman's magazine for june seventeen eighty four it is this simple parlor at olney which cooper describes in the task where he says now stir the fire and close the shutters fast let fall the curtains wheel the sofa round and while the bubbling and loud hissing urn throws up a steamy column and the cups that cheer but not inebriate wait on each so let us welcome peaceful evening in in this retreat from the haunts of the worldly whom he deems so trivial and sinful 
the poet found happiness in watching the flickering fire and listening to the wild blasts of winter that swept the panes with swirling snow here he sat in his easy chair while the dog dozed at his feet the hares gambled and the linnets twittered until silenced by a quaint bit of music on the harpsichord cooper would twine silken thread round ivory reels wine cruels or read aloud to his two devoted companions as they knitted or the well-depicted flower wrought patiently into the snowy lawn the one mrs unwin was somewhat prim and puritanical the other lady austin a handsome woman of the world was gay and vivacious and banished cooper's dark moods by her grace and charm to dispel his morbid fancy she told him the old story of the london citizen riding to edmonton which says hazlitt has perhaps given as much pleasure to as many people as anything of the same length that ever was written lady austin says his biographer right seeing his face brighten and delighted with her success wound up the story with all the skill at her command cooper could no longer control himself but burst out into a loud and hearty peal of laughter the ladies joined in his mirth and the merriment had scarcely subsided by supper-time the story made such an impression on his mind that at night he could not sleep and his thoughts having taken the form of rhyme he sprang from his bed and committed them to paper and in the morning brought down to mrs unwin the crude outline of john gilpin all that day and for several days he secluded himself in the greenhouse and went on with the task of polishing and improving what he had written as he filled his slips of paper he sent them across the market-place to mr wilson to the great delight and merriment of that jocular barber who on several other occasions had been favored with the first sight of some of cooper's smaller poems the portrait of john gilpin was taken from john byer a linen draper who lived at number three cheapside john gilpin was published anonymously in the public advertiser and was received with enthusiasm printed as a ballad copies of it with pictures of john gilpin flying past the bell at edmonton were sold by hundreds but cooper did not acknowledge the poem until seventeen eighty five when he brought out the task this was also suggested by lady austin who asked him to write something in blank verse cooper replied that he lacked a subject subject nonsense she said you can write on anything take this sofa for a subject following her command the poet named the first book of the task the sofa she suggested also the verses on the loss of the royal george at weston cooper appears to have enjoyed the society of the countryside his companions here were puss the last surviving hare and the spaniel bow a spotted liver color and white or rather a chestnut dog the subject of several poems cooper never married his attachment to theodora the delia of his verses the daughter of his uncle ashley cooper lasted throughout his life and her sister lady hasketh was one of his kindest and best friends it was she who made for him those peculiar muslin caps which he wears in his portraits many short poems addressed to her attest his affection and gratitude for her friendship and ministrations and to mrs unwin belonged the verses 
and the sonnet inscribed to mary lives of cooper are numerous his old friend john newton attempted one immediately after his death but this was not completed and the first to appear was a life by haley eighteen o three to eighteen o six extended in the life and letters of cooper by t s grimshaw eighteen thirty five there are also cooper's own memoirs a description of his mental derangement and religious experiences published in eighteen sixteen life and letters of cooper by southley in eighteen thirty five and two books by t wright the town of cooper eighteen eighty six and life of cooper eighteen ninety two an interesting biography has also been written by goldwin smith in the series of english men of letters in which he says in all his social judgments cooper is at a wrong point of view he is always deluded by the idol of his cave he writes perpetually on the twofold assumption that a life of retirement is more favorable to virtue than a life of action and that god made the country and man made the town his flight from the world was rendered necessary by his malady and respectable by his literary work but it was a flight and not a victory his misconception was fostered and partly produced by a religion which was essentially aesthetic and which while it gave birth to characters of the highest and most energetic beneficence represented salvation too little as the reward of effort too much as the reward of passion belief and of spiritual emotion yet despite this gloom cooper possessed the humor which finds admirable expression in many small poems in john gilpin and in his letters these are the real mirror of his life southey considers his letters the most delightful in the language they contain nothing but the details of his daily life and such happenings as the flowering of pinks the singing of birds in the apple blossoms the falling of the dew on the grass under his window the pranks of his pets the tricks of the spaniel bow the frolics of the tortoiseshell kitten the flight of his favorite hare and the excitements of a morning walk when the once nodding grass is fledged with icy feathers their english is so easy and graceful and their humor so spontaneous that the reader feels a sense of friendship with the modest poet of the task who despite his platitudes wins a certain respectful admiration the cricket little inmate full of mirth chirping on my kitchen hearth wheresoever be thine abode always harbinger of good pay me for thy warm retreat with a song more soft and sweet in return thou shalt receive such a strain as i can give thus thy praise shall be expressed inoffensive welcome guest while the rat is on the scout and the mouse with curious snout with what vermin else infest every dish and spoil the best frisking thus before the fire thou hast all thine heart's desire though in voice and shape they be formed as if akin to thee thou surpassest happier far happiest grasshoppers that are theirs is but a summer song thine endures the winter long unimpaired and shrill and clear melody throughout the year the winter walk at noon from the task 
the night was winter in its roughest mood the morning sharp and clear but now at noon upon the southern side of the slant hills and where the woods fence off the northern blast the season smiles resigning all its rage and has the warmth of may the vault is blue without a cloud and white without a speck the dazzling splendor of the scene below again the harmony comes o'er the vale and through the trees i view the embattled tower whence all the music i again perceive the soothing influence of the wafted strains and settle in soft musings as i tread the walk still verdant under oaks and elms whose outspread branches overarch the glade the roof though movable through all its length as the wind sways it has yet well sufficed and intercepting in their silent fall the frequent flakes has kept a path for me no noise is here or none that hinders thought the red-breast warbles still but is content with slender notes and more than half suppressed pleased with his solitude and flitting light from spray to spray whene'er he rests he shakes from many a twig the pendant drops of ice that tinkle in the withered leaves below stillness accompanied with sounds so soft charms more than silence meditation here may think down hours to moments here the heart may give a useful lesson to the head and learning wiser grow without his books knowledge and wisdom far from being one have oft times no connection knowledge dwells in heads replete with thoughts of other men wisdom and minds attentive to their own knowledge a rude unprofitable mass the mere materials with which wisdom builds till smoothed and squared and fitted to its place does but encumber whom it seems to enrich knowledge is proud that he has learned so much wisdom is humble that he knows no more books are not seldom talismans and spells by which the magic art of shrewder wits holds an unthinking multitude enthralled some to the fascination of a name surrender judgment hoodwinked some the style infatuates and through labyrinths and wilds of error lead them by a time entranced while sloth seduces them too weak to bear the insupportable fatigue of thought and swallowing therefore without pause or choice the total grist unsifted husks and all but trees and rivulets whose rapid course defies the check of winter haunts of deer and sheep walks populous with bleating lambs and lanes in which the primrose ere her time peeps through the moss that closed the hawthorn root deceive no student wisdom there and truth not shies in the world and to be won by slow solicitation seize at once the roving thought and fix it on themselves on the loss of the royal george written when the news arrived toll for the brave the brave that are no more all sunk beneath the wave fast by their native shore eight hundred of the brave whose courage well was tried had made the vessel heel and laid her on her side a land breeze shook the shrouds and she was overset down went the royal george with all her crew complete toll for the brave brave kempenfelt is gone his last sea-fight is fought his work of glory done 
it was not in the battle no tempest gave the shock she sprang no fatal leak she ran upon a rock his sword was in his sheath his fingers held the pen when kempenfelt went down with twice four hundred men weigh the vessel up once dreaded by our foes and mingle with our cup the tears that england owes her timbers yet are sound and she may float again full charge with england's thunder and plough the distant main but kempenfelt is gone as victories are o'er and he and his eight hundred shall plough the waves no more imaginary verses of alexander selkirk during his solitary abode on juan fernandez i am monarch of all i survey my right there is none to dispute from the centre all round to the sea i am lord of the fowl and the brute o solitude where are the charms that sages have seen in thy face better dwell in the mists of alarms than reign in this horrible place i am out of humanity's reach i must finish my journey alone never hear the sweet music of speech i start at the sound of my own the beasts that roam over the plain my form with indifference see they are so unacquainted with man their tameness is shocking to me society friendship and love divinely bestowed upon man oh had i the wings of a dove how soon would i taste you again my sorrows i then might assuage in the ways of religion and truth might learn from the wisdom of age and be cheered by the sallies of youth religion what treasure untold resides in that heavenly word more precious than silver and gold or all this earth can afford but the sound of the church-going bell these valleys and rocks never heard never sighed at the sound of a knell or smiled when the sabbath appeared ye winds that have made me your sport convey to this desolate shore some cordial endearing report of a land i shall visit no more my friends do they now and then send a wish or a thought after me or tell me yet i have a friend though a friend i am never to see how fleet is the glance of the mind compared with the speed of its flight the tempest itself lags behind in the swift winged arrows of light when i think of my own native land in a moment i seem to be there but alas recollection at hand soon hurries me back to despair but the sea-fowl has gone to her nest the beast is laid down in his lair even here is a season of rest and i to my cabin repair there's mercy in every place and mercy and encouraging thought gives even affliction a grace and reconciles man to his lot the immutability of human nature from a letter to william unwin seventeen eighty when we look upon our forefathers we seem to look back upon the people of another nation almost upon creatures of another species their vast rambling mansions spacious halls and painted casements the gothic porch smothered with honeysuckles and their little gardens and high walls their box edgings balls of holly and yew tree statues are 
become so entirely unfashionable now that we hardly believe it possible that a people who resemble us so little in their taste should resemble us in anything else but in everything else i suppose they were our counterparts exactly in time that has sewed up a slashed sleeve and reduced the large trunk hose to a neat pair of silk stockings has left human nature just where it found it the inside of the man at least has undergone no change his passions appetites and aims are just what they ever were they were perhaps a handsomer disguise than they did in the days of yore for philosophy and literature will have their effect upon the exterior but in every other respect a modern is only an ancient in a different dress from a letter to rev john newton only november thirtieth seventeen eighty three my dear friend i have neither long visits to pay nor to receive nor ladies to spend hours in telling me that which might be told in five minutes yet often find myself obliged to be an economist of time and to make the most of a short opportunity let our station be as retired as it may there is no want of playthings and avocations nor much need to seek them in this world of ours business or what presents itself to us under that imposing character will find us out even in the stillest retreat and plead its importance however trivial in reality as a just demand upon our attention it is wonderful how by means of such real or seeming necessities my time is stolen away i have just time to observe that time is short and by the time i have made the observation time is gone i have wondered in former days at the patience of the antediluvian world that they could endure a life almost millinery and with so little variety as seems to have fallen to their share it is probable that they had much fewer employments than we their affairs lay in a narrower compass their libraries were indifferently furnished philosophical researches were carried on with much less industry and acuteness of penetration and fiddles perhaps were not even invented how then could seven or eight hundred years of life be supported i have asked this question formerly and been at a loss to resolve it but i think i can answer it now i will suppose myself born a thousand years before noah was born or thought of i rise with the sun i worship i prepare my breakfast i swallow a bucket of goat's milk and a dozen good sizable cakes i fasten a new string to my bow and my youngest boy a lad of about thirty years of age having played with my arrows till he has stripped off all the feathers i find myself obliged to repair them the morning is thus spent in preparing for the chase and it has become necessary that i should dine i dig up my roots i wash them boil them i find them not done enough i boil them again my wife is angry we dispute we settle the point but in the meantime the fire goes out and must be kindled again all this is very amusing i hunt i bring home the prey with the skin of it i mend an old coat or i make a new one by this time the day is far spent i feel myself fatigued and retire to rest thus what with tilling the ground and eating the fruit of it 
hunting and walking and running and mending old clothes and sleeping and rising again i i can suppose an inhabitant of the primeval world so much occupied as to sigh over the shortness of life and to find it at the end of many centuries that they had all slipped through his fingers and were passing away like a shadow what wonder then that i who live in a day of so much greater refinement when there is so much more to be wanted and wished and to be enjoyed should feel myself now and then pinched in point of opportunity and at some loss for leisure to fill four sides of a sheet like this End of section 24